0: All right, thank you. Great this morning, thank you. Couple new songs too, aren't they? What time did y'all get here this morning to set up? 6.45. 6 o'clock, y'all these guys are volunteers. We had a wedding in here last night and so they had to come back in and set up this morning. So we appreciate all that y'all do, yeah. We're in a series of uh, Old Testament figures. I'm getting a little ringing down here in the woofer. Um, We've looked at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the next one to look at, of course, is Joseph. Joseph is the favorite son of Jacob. And we're going to read it. I mean, actually, if you want to start reading, well, don't do it now. But chapters 37 through the end of Genesis through chapter 50 is all about Joseph. So that's 13 chapters. you think Genesis is you know, real complicated and lots of names like it. No, it's, it's about some major Old Testament figures, some major heads of children of Israel, the Israelites. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and now Joseph is about the last 25, 30% of the book of Genesis. The sermon is entitled, You Meant It For Evil, But God, what? Meant it for good. You've heard that quoted, haven't you? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Every time someone takes advantage of you, hurts you, uh, is, is unnecessarily mean to you, or, or does some form of evil to you, I want you to know God can take that and bring something good from it. God can use it for good. Matter of fact, uh, the very thing that you want to be delivered from may be the very thing God is developing you through. Because it's those times when he's working with us and when, when there's pain and hardship and difficulty that God does his best work in us. Why? Because we are, we're listening. That's when we're the most pliable, when we are um, able to receive what he wants to do. So the passage, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, is in Genesis 50, verses 15 through 21. And these, this is kind of like wrapping up Joseph's life. I can't read all 14 chapters of Genesis taking you through Joseph's life, but I'm just going to hit some high high spots, high points, and then let those guide us through what God's doing in Joseph through the difficulties. Genesis 50 verse 15 says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, this is when they become afraid because as long as their father was alive, they thought Joseph would not enact any revenge on them. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Forgive, I pray you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now we pray you, forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide you and your little ones. Thus he reassured them and comforted them. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Let's bow. Father, sometimes bad things happen to us that we bring on ourselves because of our own mistakes and foolish ways, because of our own evil acts. But sometimes, through no fault of our own, as best we can understand, things happen to us. People are mean. People say and do hurtful things, and we don't know how to react. Our, our human tendency is to want revenge, to get even. And yet here is one named Joseph, who was the victim of so many evil deeds, and rather than lashing out, he forgave because he saw your hand working in his life, and he knew it was all part of your plan or how you could use it as part of your plan. So help us look for good, even in the midst of evil, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Two, te- two teenage girls are cruising around one evening, and as, as teenage girls are doing, they're talking. And they're talking, and one of the girls... I'm sorry, that's a stereotype, isn't it? Uh, one of the teenage girls says to the other, well, what do you think about Alice. And the second girl says, well, I think she's beautiful and smart and funny and talented. And the first girl said, yeah, I do too. I hate her. And the other girl said, yeah, I hate her too. And that's, that's how Joseph's brothers must have felt about him. He was his father's favorite. He walked around with this air of superiority, with his nose up in the air, always telling them how important he was going to be. He had this coat of many colors that his father had given him. He had dreams where everybody would bow down and serve him. And it was just, it wasn't so long before listening to that and taking that in that his brothers finally said, we can't take this anymore, he's, he's driving us crazy. And so they decide to get even. And originally when Joseph comes out, they, they bide their time, but when their opportunity comes... Joseph comes out to see what they're doing because he's not out working like they are. He's in the house with his father, just kind of hanging out. So he comes out one day and they say, here's our chance, and they throw him in a pit and they're going to kill him. But then the oldest brother, Judah, says, no, let's not kill him. His blood will be on our hands. Here's a band of traitors on their way to Egypt. Let's sell him to these traitors, sell him into slavery. And so these Midianites coming through and Joseph gets sold to them and, and gets taken down to Egypt in slavery. You know, I was reading that and I wondered, what did the brothers do with the money that they got for selling Joseph? That's like blood money. It's 20 shekels of silver is what they were paid. Did they throw a party and dance because Joseph was gone? Did they split it up among themselves and just waste it away? What, did, what would you do with money that you knew you took for Ill, it was ill-gotten gains? Well, they sell Joseph into slavery in Egypt and they say, that's the last we'll ever see him. That's the last we've heard of him. But what he endured in Egypt, while he was enduring that, God was raising him up to ensure his plan for redemption for the children of Israel. Because if if Joseph had not been taken to Egypt, what would have happened during the famine? What would have happened... In that part of the world, if Joseph had not been there to to have this dream, to store the reserves of wheat, to have it during seven years of plenty, to get him through seven years of drought, what would have happened? God knew all this. And even though God didn't put Joseph in the pit and sell him into slavery, God used the evil that his brothers did for good. And that's what happens So often. So what does Joseph teach us about faith? When I look at these these forefathers of the children of Israel, what do they teach us about faith? Well, this is what I've learned from this. So often you and I determine what we want in life and we, we lay out our life's plans and we have all these ideas and dreams and visions. And then we take our plan to God and ask him for his approval. We ask him to bless our plans our dreams, our desires. And then when we don't hear from God, we become angry and say, where is God? Why why have you abandoned me? Why have you uh, left me with all these plans? And all the while, you know, God may be saying those may be your plans, but they are my plans. You know, when you lay hold of my plans, when you lay hold of me, then everything you'll see begin to come together. You want to know where God is? He's with us. He's with us in the midst of failures, and difficulties, and conflicts. He's with us because he was with Joseph at times like that. First of all, he's with us in our failures. There was a man named Phillips in the 19th century Boston area, and he wanted to be a schoolteacher. He went uh, to the best schools. He graduated when he was 20 from college. And he began teaching in the Boston Latin School, and because he had done so well in his exams, they put him in an upper-level classroom, this man named Phillips. Um, but he was a total, I mean, to say it was a disaster would be an understatement. He was the worst teacher that school had ever seen. The students actually locked him in the classroom and rolled firecrackers underneath the door and uh, threw buckshot in his face and just, you know, every kind of thing you can imagine. And after one semester, he was fired. And the headmaster said that he had no single element of a successful school teacher in him. And he also went on to say he never knew anyone who had failed so miserably at teaching school to succeed in any other profession. Well, this guy named Phillips remembered a calling that God had on his life and he returned to it. And Phillips Brooks, became the pastor of Trinity Church in Boston, one of the most renowned preachers of the 19th century. And uh, you may know him because he ended up writing O Little Town of Bethlehem, Phillips Brooks. And a lot of preachers study his sermons today. This man who was such a miserable failure at teaching because teaching was his plan, it wasn't God's plan. So what does that show us? Sometimes it takes a failure for God to get our attention. Why? Because we are so prideful that we think we know what's best. We know what we want to do. We know where we want to go and, and the relationships we want to have. We think we know what's best. And all the time, God's got a better plan for him. So I've heard somebody pray this one time, and I think about it from time to time. You know, pour out your heart and tell God what you want. God, this is what I want. But let me say, if you've got something better planned for me, I want that instead. If you have something better in store for me, regardless of what my thoughts and dreams and desires and plans are, I'll take that instead. It was true in Joseph's life. In chapter 37, his brothers sell him into slavery, as I said, and he is in chains on his way to Egypt. He becomes a slave. And, and you know, you think slavery in America was bad Three centuries ago, you have no idea what slavery in Egypt was like um, two, two millennia ago, or even longer, three millennia. He's in chains. He, he begins interpreting dreams, and he rises up in importance and power in Egypt, and he becomes second in the nation. Pharaoh sets him up second in power, only second to him, second only to him. So what's the difference between Genesis 37 when he's on his way to Egypt and chains and chapter 41 where Pharaoh sets him up in power? Let me read Genesis 41 verses 42 and 43. I'm going to start. Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand. Do you remember when the father of the prodigal son took his signet ring and, and put it on the prodigal son's hand, signifying that you're a member of the family, that you are inheritor of, of my possessions? Arrayed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck and made him ride in his second chariot, and they cried out before him, Bow the knee! Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt." This is where Joseph had interpreted the dream that there would be seven years of plenty and that they needed to store all the wheat they possibly could because following the seven years of plenty would be seven years of drought and hunger. And so Pharaoh heeded Joseph's warning and did exactly what Joseph told him to do. And they stored up all this wheat. And so when all the land around them was starving, they had storehouses of food available and people coming to buy it with any possible Um, item they could do to barter with, And, and Egypt just grew wealthier and wealthier, and Joseph was the steward, second only to Pharaoh, over all those things in the storehouse and all the goods that were being brought in. What's the difference between the failure of chapter 37 and the success, the overwhelming success of chapter 41? What's the difference between closing one chapter in your life and beginning a new one? It's God was with him. God was with him. And God is with you too. And and you might not always realize it. You might not always see it. You might not always feel it. But I want you to know that if, if Jesus is in your heart, that God is with you. In spite of how things might seem, in spite of the pain and suffering you might be experiencing, He's with us in our failures, He's with us in our difficulties. And we learn this from Joseph too. How many difficulties did Joseph go through? It's amazing. There's so many examples. The the most outstanding one is is when he's uh, sold to Potiphar, who was the captain of Pharaoh's guard. So he's a a soldier, kind of like head of the Secret Service. Uh, He's captain of the guard, and he finds favor with Potiphar. But unfortunately, he also finds favor with Potiphar's wife. And Potiphar's wife is always trying to seduce Joseph. And finally, she gets him alone in the house and tries to seduce him once more. And and she grabs his coat, and Joseph just takes off running out of the house. And I thought about that. Incidentally, when you're faced with temptation, the best thing you can do is run as far and fast away from it As you can, because if you sit there and try to debate with it, if you sit there and try to argue with it, you'll lose. So when temptation comes your way, you run far and fast, just like Joseph did from Potiphar's uh, wife's hands. So there she is holding Joseph's coat in her hands. And Potiphar comes in and says, what's going on? And she lies. She says, Joseph tried to seduce me. Look, here's his garment that he left when he heard you coming. And Potiphar, I wonder if he really did believe her. He, he had to act like he did because that was the only way to save her face, to save her, her pride, her reputation. So Pot- Potiphar believed her and threw Joseph in prison again. Genesis 39, 20 and 21 says this. Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But what? Verse 21 of Genesis 39, the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Everywhere Joseph went, he found favor in people's eyes. He found favor with Pharaoh, with Potiphar, with the with the, the prison guards. everywhere, Why? Because God was with him. And because Joseph didn't lash out and he didn't become bitter and he didn't become, God, why are you doing this to me? I've been faithful to you. And yet I can't seem to get out of chains. Every time I turn around, somebody's throwing me into prison or into slavery. And yet God was with him and continued to use him to bless us and to bless Joseph. And so let me repeat what I said at the beginning. Sometimes the very thing we want God to deliver us from is the very thing God is using to develop us. Did you hear me? We want God to deliver us from something, and God is using that to develop us. Because He's not, this is what Rick Warren used to say God isn't is so used, God isn't so interested in our comfort as He is in our character. God isn't interested in our comfort. He's interested in our character, and he uses those difficult times to build our character. It's not the comfortable times that he can do that. So, Joseph discovered God was with him in his difficulties. Lastly, God is with Joseph in his conflicts. And this this is the passage for today, Genesis 50, 19 and 20. The famine in Judah has Joseph's family. They're hungry, and, and their father, Jacob, says, I hear there's food down in Egypt and plenty of it. Go down and buy some food and bring it back to us. So imagine the irony of this situation. Here come Joseph's brothers, everyone but Benjamin, comes down to try to buy food in Egypt. And and you know the person they go before to buy the food from. Who is it? It's Joseph. But they don't recognize him because years have passed, and I'm sure Joseph is wearing Egyptian clothing, and you've seen in, in mosaics and things the heavy Egyptian makeup that they wear. And so his brothers come down, and Joseph recognizes them immediately because they're wearing familiar clothing from Judah. And they come, and and want to uh, buy food, and Joseph realizes who they are, and he sends them back home, and they come back again, and then he sends them back, and it's, it's kind of this thing back and forth because Joseph wants to learn if they've changed, if they have learned anything from what they did to him, if they have any regret at all for what they did to him. Conflict sometimes brings about good because God can be working in it. And, uh, 18th century England, a great revival was breaking out. A great revival. It was the, the Church of England was kind of stayed and um, just kind of dead. And revival began breaking out among the people. The gospel was being shared, and people were coming in and people were worshiping God. And and the two leaders of the revival were George Whitfield and John Wesley. George Whitfield and John Wesley. But something happened between them, and and they don't know if it was personality, ego, or theology, but anyway, they split in 1741. And not only did they split, but they started writing ugly documents about the other. So it, it became public. And you might think that something like that would be bad for revival, but what actually happened is that instead of the two of them working on a unified front, Whitfield and John Wesley split, and revival broke out now in two fronts. It's kind of like what happened with Paul and Barnabas. Do you remember they went on their first missionary journey and the second missionary journey? They, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark, and Paul said, no, we're not taking him. So Barnabas took Mark and headed off in one direction, and Paul took Silas and headed off in another direction. So instead of just one missionary journey, there were two going out. And the same thing happened with Whitfield and Wesley. And so the gospel in England spread, the revival spread even faster because instead of the two working together, they were working apart. And that's what happened in Joseph's life. The conflict with his brothers, he would have, without that, he would have never ended up in Egypt. His brothers would have never come down to buy food. He would have never recognized them. And all the while, God is working God is working in Joseph's life because he turned his life to him because he continued to honor and worship the Lord. And so here's the passage. His brothers came, Genesis fifty eighteen His brothers came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? In other words, you know, it's not my place to get revenge. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. How many would have starved if, if God had not used Joseph's presence in Egypt, not only to save his brothers and the beginning of the children of Israel, but surrounding nations as well? Who knows how many hungry mouths Joseph was able to feed? Because the dreams that God had given him and the food that he had stored and the resources that became available during the famine and the drought. This is the message of Joseph's life. God is at work in the most unusual of places, in failures, in difficulties, in conflicts. As a matter of fact, if you think you know how and when God is going to act, you're going to be surprised. Because he usually acts in the, in the most unusual of circumstances, in the most difficult of ways. When life is caving in upon us, God is doing his best work in us and through us. And not only that, but later on, I've learned down the road when I've been through some tough times that God can use what happened to me to be a blessing to someone else because I can say, I know what you're going through. I've been there before. And you have an audience with him in ways that you never would have had otherwise. So even when, even in those times of difficulty, the problem is we don't see him working at that moment. It's not until maybe a little bit later we can look back in retrospect and see, oh God, I see now what you were doing. I see what you were teaching me. I see what you were preparing me for. I would have never gotten to this place had that not happened to me at that particular time. So forgive me for crying out against you, for complaining, for becoming bitter, because now I see what you were doing in me and where you wanted me to go and and how you wanted me to, to be. But we have the promise that God can and will take the most difficult of circumstances and work something good from them in our lives. I hope this is a message of encouragement for you I don't know anyone who suffered like Joseph did. I mean, look what he went through, what his brothers did to him, what Potiphar did to him, what the prison did to him, what slavery did to him. And yet he was faithful, and it says over and over again that the Lord was with him. And God used him in that particular situation to accomplish his purposes in ways that would have never happened had Joseph not been there in Egypt. The problem is in Exodus 1, the very next page, it says, a Pharaoh arose who knew not Joseph. And so the relationship that Joseph had with the older Pharaoh ceased to exist. And that's how the children of Israel, when they came down to Egypt to get food, ended up in slavery in Egypt because a Pharaoh arose who knew not Joseph. That link between Joseph and Pharaoh and God was broken and things changed. But even then, did God give up on his people? Did he abandon them? No. He was with them, teaching them something even through 400 years of slavery in Egypt. He can do the same with us. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what conflicts or difficulties or failures you might have experienced in your life but I can tell you this God can use it and he can bless it and he can grow you through it and those very things he wants you to he that you want him to deliver you from are the very things he's using to develop in you let's bow together Father, there's so much in Joseph's life. How could one man have been through so much and not just bitterly died in prison or in slavery upon his arrival, but you blessed him because he was faithful to you. And you used him to bring about your plan of redemption for your children, Israel. Because had he not been in Egypt, there would have been no food for the the eleven sons, the twelve sons of, of Jacob, the tribes of Israel from which they sprang. We pray that you would help us to see your hand working not only in times of ease and comfort, but even more so when times are tough and we cry out and wonder, Where are you and why is this happening to me? What have I done to deserve this? So many times when folks mean something for evil, you can mean for good. And so we just wanna get out of your way and let you bring that about. Gladly telling you what our thoughts and dreams and plans are. But if you have something better in store, if you have something better for us in mind, we'll take that instead. For course, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Lead me to the cross is an invitational hymn. It's an opportunity for you to respond publicly to God's claim on your life. You can't get there without going by the cross because it's by the cross that our sins are forgiven, our relationship with God is restored. And our life is renewed. If you need God in your life to to develop you and change you and grow you, won't you invite him in today? Won't you rededicate your life today? Won't you join this church today? I'll be here to receive you. Lead me to the cross. Let's come as we stand and sing.